All right. Well, good evening. Hope everyone's doing okay. Had a good afternoon. Got some rest, a nap, uh, or whatever you typically do on Sundays. Uh, tonight we're going to uh, kind of finish up the teaching part of, of this series on baptism, and then next week we'll spend the entire hour uh, with all your pastors up here um, answering questions that you may have. So, uh, so again, I, I mentioned it last week, but just again um, up front, if you have questions that come to mind tonight, but you don't want to ask them out in front of everyone, or um, if you have questions that come to mind that maybe don't deal with the specific topics that we talk about tonight, but have something to do with baptism, um, please try to be here next week and ask those questions, or you can also um, email those questions to me or one of the other pastors, or um, even if you just write them on a piece of paper and hand them to us, that kind of thing, then we will ask them for you next week. Uh, but so when we started this series on baptism, we were mentioned uh, how there's all these different ideas about baptism in the world, right? And uh, we talked about uh, questions like who should we baptize, believers or believers and their children or all children, or uh, how should we baptize people, how should baptisms be done, immersion, pouring, sprinkling, um, when should baptisms be done, uh, within a few weeks of the person believing or after a certain amount of time they've been taught or uh, not till they're 18 or other questions like that. And then the, the fourth question that we had was, was why do we baptize? What, what does baptism do? And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on that question. Um, why do we baptize? What does baptism do? And we looked at that question from different uh, traditions, different perspectives, uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Churches of Christ, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian or Reformed, and, and Baptist. And so tonight we want to uh, spend the time we have talking about the other three questions. Okay, so we spent two weeks on one question, the, the why or, or what of baptism, what is it? And tonight we want to try to answer the, the other three tonight. Who should we baptize, um, how should we baptize, and, and when should we baptize? And, and one of the reasons we're doing it this way is because um, in many ways, especially this first question of, of who should we baptize, who are the proper subjects of baptism, um, that first question, why do we baptize and what does baptism do, really plays into who should we baptize. So it depends on what we think baptism is and what we think baptism is doing. That kind of determines in some ways who it is that we think should be baptized. So for example, um, well, before I, before I say for example, um, really when we're thinking about this question of who should we baptize, who are the proper subjects of baptism, there's, there's really two options. Okay, and then there's various, uh, there, there's, there's uh, uh, various understandings of those two, two options, but really the, it comes down to two options. Either we're only going to baptize believers or we're going to baptize believers and at least some set of unbelievers. Okay? So either we're going to baptize believers only or we're going to baptize believers and uh, either all unbelievers or some unbelievers or a specific set of unbelievers. Um, but that's really the question. Is it, is it believers only get baptized or uh, other people get baptized? And so some examples, if we think about the, the, the traditions, the churches that we've talked about so far, um, if we look at the Catholic Church, um, the Catholic Church says that everyone should be baptized. It doesn't matter if they're a believer or not a believer. It doesn't matter if they're a child or an adult. It doesn't matter if it is, right? For, for Catholic churches, baptism is what saves you. And it doesn't matter, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not a believer. It doesn't matter if you understand or don't understand. Nothing matters except for you being baptized. And baptism itself, apart from anything else, saves you. So the Catholic Church would say that everybody should be baptized, right? I don't know if you saw this week, just kind of a, kind of a, uh, um, kind of sidestep for a second. I don't know if you saw this week, but there was a news story 
uh, that I was made aware of this week. I don't know if it was written this week. Yeah, it looks like it was published on uh, one day this week. But there was a Catholic priest in Arizona who uh, had been baptizing people as part of his role as a priest, and, and it came to find out he was doing it wrong. And so when, when, he was, when he was baptizing people or sprinkling people, he would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Well, the Catholic Church says you shouldn't say we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You should say I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and for a theological reason, if you say we baptize you, then you're saying the church is baptizing you. But if you say, if the priest says I baptize you, it's the priest who's doing the baptism and specifically the priest who is representing Jesus. And so Jesus is the one baptizing um, people. And so the Catholic Church now is kind of wrestling with that. And, and are these people saved? Are they not saved? Um, and, and, it's, and it's really sad for them, right? And it's sad, it's sad to me. It should be sad for us because it really doesn't matter what he said, right? His words don't make baptism any more, uh, any more um, effective or any less effective just because he said a certain word um, because we don't think baptism itself saves you to begin with. But, but, but that kind of shows us the Catholic Church's understanding of it's nothing else matters other than just this ritual, this sacrament, and it has to be done the exact right way. And if it's done the exact right way, then, then you're saved. And if it's not done this exact right way, then, then you're not saved. And so here's a situation where this priest was saying the wrong things. Um, and, and so because of their theology of baptism, their understanding of baptism, now they're, they're saying that these people he baptized, thousands of people over, uh, I don't remember how many years it was that, that, he, was a, that he was a priest, um, but these people that, that are now questioning whether they're really saved or not. Uh, so, the, so the Catholic Church says everybody should be baptized because baptism saves you. And we want everybody to be saved, so we want to baptize everybody regardless of, of anything else. Okay? The Lutheran Church, if you remember, uh, says that believers should be baptized. Again, it's not, it's, not a, it's not dependent on age here. It could be an adult believer or it could be a, a minor believer. But believers should be baptized and also some infants, not all infants, but some infants. The Catholic Church says all infants. The Lutheran Church says only some. Uh, those infants that have someone who will believe on their behalf, remember the Lutheran Church says that baptism works with faith to save someone, uh, but the faith is not the, the infants. It's, it's, it's the infant's parent or a sponsor or the church collectively believing on behalf of the infant. Um, and, and so for that reason, it should be believers and infants who have someone to believe on their behalf. Um, the Methodist Church says that believers and infants who are part of the church should be baptized. So baptism is how God normally starts this process of salvation. Not always. Someone can be saved, the Methodist Church, without being baptized. Um, but baptism is how God normally starts this, this process of salvation um, in, in the believer. Uh, but then people have to continue believing, and grace has to continue operating in them uh, throughout, their, throughout their life. One thing I didn't say last week about uh, the Methodist position, and this is also true in the Catholic position and the, and the Presbyterian position also, um, they, have a, they have a confirmation after the baptism. So an infant is baptized, and then when, when the child becomes a certain age, I'm not sure exactly what the age is, uh, 12 or 13, something like that, maybe even a little bit older, they have a confirmation, right? And the confirmation is where they go through a class and the, uh, the pastor or someone else teaches the class. When I was in a, growing up in a Presbyterian church, the pastor of our church led a Sunday school class for a series of four or five weeks and, and taught what, what the gospel is, what baptism means, what, uh, what the Lord's Supper means, what it means to be a member of a church. And then at the end of that class, um, you have an opportunity to kind of take ownership of your, of your previous baptism. I had not been baptized before, so I was, I was baptized as an 11-year-old in the Presbyterian church 
after that class. Um, so there's this, this confirmation that, that comes with it also. But so all those positions and the Presbyterian position is that all believers should be baptized and at least some infants. Catholic, all infants, others, some infants. Um, and remember, the Presbyterian uh, view says that, that adult believers should be baptized and then the infant children of believers should be baptized. So not all infants, but if your mom or dad is a believer, then the infant should be baptized at all. And, and not because of anything to do with salvation, but because baptizing them, like circumcision in the Old Testament, places that infant in the covenant community as a member of the, of the, of the covenant community of faith uh, that is that, that, that uh, Presbyterian church. Okay? So all of those positions, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, and there are others we haven't talked about, but all of those positions say that believers should be baptized and at least some, or in the Catholic view, all unbelievers should also be baptized for, for different reasons, right? Um, there's another position that says only believers should be baptized. Believers only. By the way, that, that view that believers and um, infants should be baptized is called paedo-baptism. So you may, you may have heard of that phrase before. If you've ever heard the phrase paedo-baptist or paedo-baptism, paedo is a Greek word for child or, or infant. And so paedo-baptist, paedo-baptism is, um, is churches that, that baptize infants. Um, credo-baptism, that's a term that's not used as much, but credo-baptism, credo means I believe. And so credo-baptism or credo-baptist is... is like a Baptist church that believes only believers should be baptized. So the Baptist church and uh, churches of Christ believe that only believers should be baptized and, and no one else. And, and for different reasons, though. The Church of Christ, if you remember, says that baptism is one step in the six-step process of, of salvation. You have to do these six things in order to be saved, repent, believe, hear, um, uh, call out, call on the name of the Lord, uh, be baptized, and then continue living a, a, a life of faithfulness throughout your life. And so baptism is one of those steps. It's not the only step, though. You also have to believe and repent and those other things. And so Churches of Christ would not baptize someone who's not believed yet because believing is necessary for salvation just like they think baptism is. For Baptists, if you remember from last week, uh, we believe that baptism is, is also not uh, not related to salvation in the sense that it, affect, that, it, that it makes someone saved or something like that, but baptism is the public profession of faith. So someone who is, who is a believer, who's repented their sins, who's, who's believed in Jesus, has been saved, then the way that they show that publicly before the world and, and, and before the church is through baptism. And so Baptists would, would obviously say that if you're not saved, then you shouldn't make a public profession that you're saved, right? And so, so we would say that only believers... Um, should be baptized, okay? So that's kind of a, kind of a summary of those, those positions we talked about, but now let's look and, and, talk, and, and see what the Bible says, okay? We're gonna look at several passages tonight around these three questions. The first one is, who should be baptized, okay? And so let, let's first think about what people that say that believers and some unbelievers should be, should be baptized, okay? So infant baptism. Uh, why, why do people who believe in infant baptism, how do they understand the Bible? And there's a couple different, different things they do. The first one's in Matthew chapter 19. And, and this one is not that convincing, not that strong of an argument, but, but, but we'll look at it anyway, and then we'll look at, at their stronger argument that also turns out not to be that strong. Uh, Matthew 19, that was kind of a joke because I don't believe they're right, so their arguments aren't very strong. Uh, what did I say? Matthew 19, 13 through 15. So you'll, you'll be familiar with this passage probably. Uh, 
Verse 13 says, Then the children were brought to him, to Jesus, so that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from me, from coming to me, because the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. And after putting his hands on them, he went on from there. And so people that believe that, that infants should be baptized kind of make two arguments from this passage. One of them is just kind of a general argument that, see, Jesus likes children, and so we uh, shouldn't keep children away from Jesus. Um, Jesus loves children, likes children, told the people to stop preventing them from coming to him. And so, uh, so that would relate to baptism. We shouldn't stop infants from being baptized, children from being baptized either. And then there, there are others who say that this is baptism that when Jesus was laying his hands on them, he was actually baptizing these children, and so we should follow in Jesus' example and do what he did, okay? Now, reading that passage, it's, it's obviously not clear that that's what that is. If Jesus is baptizing them, uh, there's no mention of it, right? That's just an assumption someone's making. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say that Jesus baptized them. It doesn't say anything about that at all. It just says that he, uh, he told the people to let the children come to him, and he was laying his hands on them, but it doesn't say that he was baptizing them. Okay, so this is a this is a kind of a kind of a weak argument, and it's not their best argument. Okay, their best argument is that if we look at uh, look at baptism accounts in the New Testament, especially in the Book of Acts, but also uh, there's one in um, in First Corinthians. But if we look at these examples of where uh, where baptisms happened, there's often places where it talks about someone being baptized. But it doesn't just say that that person was baptized. It says that that person and their whole household was baptized. Okay? And so their argument is if, if the whole household is baptized, then their household probably included children, probably even included infants. And so this looks like what the Presbyterian view of baptism is, right? Uh, it's it's, it's a, a believer gets baptized, and the children of the, of the believer is baptized to, to show that they're part of the covenant community as well. Okay, So let, let's look at several of these passages, though, um, and, and kind of examine them and, and see exactly what they say. So the first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll look at verse, start looking at verse 13. Okay, so this is the passage where Paul's talking about divisions in the church at Corinth and, and, and how people are following Apollos and some are following Paul and, and that kind of thing. And so he says um, in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was it Paul who was crucified for you or were you baptized in Paul's name? And he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then he says, I did, in fact, also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. I can't remember. And so they would look at this and they say, see, he, he baptized the whole household of Stephanus. And so how likely is it that there weren't children in the household of Stephanus? There probably were children there. And so that would mean that he baptized Stephanus and everyone else in the household, including, including the children. Okay, and, and, and part, of, part of this argument kind of gains a little bit of strength when you look at some other passages in, in the New Testament where uh, they're called household co codes. There's one in, in, uh, in Ephesians, I think, and some other places where, where Paul will say, here's how, the men, here's, how the, here's how the fathers are to act, here's how the mothers are to act, here's how the children are to act, sometimes here, here's how the servants or the slaves are to act. And so the household includes all of those people. It includes the mom, the dad, the children, the servants, the slaves. And so here Paul's saying he baptizes Stephanus and, the, and, and was it his or her? Uh, the whole household of Stephanus. And, and so that, that household would include 
the mom, the dad, the kids, any servants or, or slaves that might have been there. And so this whole group was baptized. Okay? Look at another passage in Acts chapter 16. A lot of these passages are in Acts because that's the, the story of the early church being established and the gospel going out. So Acts chapter 16, and we'll start in verse 14. This is the story of Lydia, Lydia's conversion. Verse 14 says, A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And so there it says that Lydia believed, and then she and her whole household were baptized. And again, the argument is um, Lydia probably had children, probably had uh, perhaps even infants in her home, and whoever was in the household was baptized with Lydia. Lydia believed she was baptized, and whoever was in her household were also baptized at the same time. Okay? That's, those are a little bit, little bit stronger arguments. They're still kind of arguments from silence because it doesn't specifically say that there were children present. Um, it's just kind of left open, and so, um, and, and so people kind of assume that there were probably were children or infants there as well. Okay? However, the problem with this is, the problem with this line of thinking is uh, the other household baptisms we're going to look at. And often what happens is in these, in these household baptisms, um, it, it, it does say that, that the household is baptized, but in many of these cases, the argument kind of proves a little bit too much for the infant, infant baptism people. So, for example, look at um, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 48. Okay, so this is, this is, a, uh, is the story of when the, uh, when the Gentiles began to believe, the gospel went to the Gentiles. And so he says in verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to stay for a few days. And continuing on into chapter uh, 11, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had welcomed God's message also. And so then Peter went up to Jerusalem, and those who stressed circumcision argued with him, saying, you visited uncircumcised men and ate with them? And so Peter began to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a vision... Uh, an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners. And he tells that whole story. And then skip over to verse, um, skip over to verse uh, 14. It says, he will speak a message to you that you and all your household will be saved by. Okay? So in, in, in 1048, he commanded them to be baptized. In 1114, he's talking about the same group of people in 1114, in the household is mentioned, right? But it doesn't say the whole, household, the whole household was baptized. It says, I'm going to preach a message by which the whole household will, will believe and be saved, right? And so here it's not, it's, not, it's not one person believing and then the rest of the household being baptized together. It's one person believing and then their whole household also hearing the message and believing and being saved, right? And then we would assume they were baptized after that, after they've after they believed. And we see this in several other places. There, there's another example. Uh, back to chapter 16. Maybe we should have read this one while we're already there. But Acts chapter 16, verse uh, 31. 
this is, this is the, the jailer, uh, Paul and Silas, in prison. And so uh, the, the jailer there saw them, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved in verse 29 or verse 30? And then in verse 31, here's what they told him. They said, uh, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus, you and, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. So here's an example where the jailer was baptized and his whole house with him was baptized, right? This is a household baptism. The jailer was baptized and then his whole household was baptized. But that's not all it says, right? I'm sure you picked up on it. It doesn't just say the whole household was baptized. It says the whole household believed. And all the ones that believed were then baptized, right? All the ones that believed were baptized. So here, uh, there couldn't have been infants in, involved in this household because uh, they had, the, if there were children there, there could have been children there, but the children had to be old enough at least to understand and believe. And then they were baptized, right? And so the, the, the believers only baptism position, like a Baptist position, we don't say that children shouldn't be baptized at all. We just say that only believers should be baptized. And so adults who believe should be baptized and children who believe should be baptized. But we shouldn't baptize children before they're, they're capable of believing or before they actually do believe, all right? Um, two other examples of this. One is in Acts chapter 18. So right there on the next page in my Bible, Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Uh, it says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. So again, Crispus, his household is mentioned, but it doesn't say that his whole household was baptized without believing. It explicitly says that the whole household believed. And then it says many of the Corinthians who heard and believed were then baptized. It's hard to say baptized or baptism so many times in a row without getting tongue twisted. The whole, but so the, the, the whole group, the, many of the, of the Corinthians that were there believed and then were baptized. So again, they're believing before they're baptized, okay? And then, then one last example, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1. This is the, uh, where Paul saying he didn't baptize anyone except for those few that he remembered. And so he says that in verse, uh, in verse 16, he says, I did in fact baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. And, then he, and so he, he does say the whole household of Stephanus, and he doesn't, he doesn't clarify there that only those that believe were baptized. He says the whole household was baptized, right? But he says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize, not with clever words so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. And so I think we can put those two things together, and, and we can, you know, you can, so it says he baptized Stephanus and, and Stephanus' whole house. So you can either assume that there were kids in Stephanus' house, or based on verse 17, you can assume that Paul evangelized everyone who was in Stephanus' house. And so whoever that was, kids, adults, whoever it was, they were old enough for Paul to, to, to evangelize them, because his whole point here is, I did baptize a few people, but that's not really my, my goal. That's not really my role. God didn't make me a baptizer. He made me an apostle to go share the gospel and to evangelize people. And I did baptize a few people on the way, but I'm glad I didn't baptize many because y'all are all saying you're following me instead of Jesus, and that's not good. I did baptize a few of you, but my, my goal is to evangelize, to tell you about Jesus and direct you to him, not to myself. And so we, we, we can assume, I think, I think it's safer to assume that whoever was in Stephanus' house was evangelized before they were baptized than to assume that there were children who were infants and were baptized without, 
without them believing, right? Okay? So if we look at, if we look at the New Testament, if we look at the Bible, um, the only examples of, uh, the only explicit examples we have of baptism in the New Testament is baptism of believers alone. We don't have any examples anywhere in the New Testament explicitly of someone who's not a believer being baptized. And so when they point to those, even those first two uh, passages we looked at, Acts 16, Lydia's conversion, um, and then the, we, can, we can throw 1 Corinthians out because of verse 17. But so Lydia's conver- convergence left, and it does say her and her whole household were, uh, were baptized, but you have to assume there something that's not written, right? We don't know if she had kids or not. We don't know if she had infants or not. Um, and, and so we shouldn't say, well, see, here's a clear example of infants being baptized when it doesn't even say if she had any infants. And so every, the, only, the only clear examples we have in the New Testament of baptism are only of believers, okay? And so because of the nature of baptism, the, the, of what we as Baptists believe it is, it's a public profession of faith, um, and because of the examples we see in Scripture, um, we believe that only believers should be baptized. And again, that doesn't mean uh, anything about age at all. It doesn't mean anything about anything else other than are you a believer or are you not a believer, right? If there's a kid that's, a, that's, that's you know, four or five years old that believes and, and, and clearly believes and can explain what the gospel is and can, can explain why they, why they need to be baptized and, and, and why they need to believe in Jesus, then we would baptize that, that, that kid, right? But we wouldn't baptize an infant um, who hasn't believed yet. We wouldn't baptize a child. We wouldn't baptize an adult who hasn't believed yet, okay? We'll get into, into that a little bit more here, here in a few minutes, Okay. So who should be baptized? The, 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 the subjects of baptism, we would say, I would say, uh, and our church would say, believers only. Only those who have a credible um, testimony of having believed in, in Jesus. Okay? The next question is, how should we baptize? And so some traditions baptize by sprinkling, just with a little bit of water in the hand and sprinkling over the head. Others uh, baptize by pouring. And others baptize by immersion uh, or, or submerging in water. And so what's the, what's the proper method of baptism? What, how, how should we baptize someone? And so there's, there's a few different uh, kind of arguments here, a few different um, angles to take. And the first one is um, linguistics or definitions, okay? And I'm sure you've all heard before and all know before, the word baptism is a Greek word. It's not an English word. It's a Greek word that means to immerse, to plunge underwater, um, um, or, to, or to dip underwater, Okay? And so the definition of baptism is to plunge underwater, dip underwater, or, or to immerse. And so you, you may know this already, you may not, I'm not sure, but, uh, but the word baptism, like I said, is a Greek word. It's not, a, it's not an English word. And so this is one of the words in the Bible that was not translated into English or really any other language. And so it's, it's transliterated instead of translated. Okay, and here, here's what that means. Here's the difference. A transliteration is when you take a, a word that's in a foreign language and, and written in like a different alphabet, and you change that word to an English alphabet, right? So in, in Greek, the first letter in, in the word baptism is beta. And so in English, that becomes a B, right? And then alpha becomes an A. And, and, and it goes on like that. So you change baptism into English letters, and then you pronounce it in English, but it's still a Greek word. And there's other examples of this. Um, I couldn't think of a whole lot, but you've probably heard of uh, the Jewish holiday uh, Yom Kippur. Right? It may be on some of your calendars and stuff that, that you buy. It, have it pre-written in there. Yom Kippur is the same way. That, that's not an, those aren't English words. Those are Hebrew words. But they're changed from the Hebrew alphabet to English alphabet, and then we pronounce them the way they're written. And so, so Yom Kippur is a transliteration. The, the translation would be the Day of Atonement. 
right? Another example would be uh, Rosh Hashanah, is another Jewish holiday that means uh, the Jewish New Year, or literally translated, it means the head of the year. But we don't say it's the head of the year, we say Rosh, Rosh Hashanah. If, if we talk about that at all, right? And so there's examples of this, and, and, and this is in the Bible this way, baptized is that way. If baptized was gonna be translated into English, it would be translated as immerse, or, or submerge, or, or dip, one of those words, because that's what the word means. And so we say the word baptism means dipping, immersing, uh, submerging, and so when we baptize someone, that's what we do. We dip them all the way underwater. We immerse them all the way under the water, submerge them all the way under the water. So that's one reason that, that we would say that immersion is, is better than those other, um, other methods. Another uh, reason would be from, just from examples in scripture. So let's look at, at three examples uh, kind of quickly, four, four examples actually. The first one's in John chapter three. And this is when John the Baptist is baptizing people. In John chapter three, verse, uh, verse 23. Verse 23 says, verse 22 says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. That's, that's interesting, right? Jesus baptized his disciples. Uh, verse, verse 23, though, says, John also was baptizing uh, there in, in Anon near Salim. And here's why. Because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. And so the reason that John the Baptist chose to baptize in that particular location is because there was plenty of water there, okay? Now, that's not, a, that's not a, an ironclad, solid case, but if you take what the word baptism means, immerse, and then you, you read that John was doing it at that particular location because there's lots of water there, then it makes sense that he was immersing them, submerging them, and that's why he needed there to be plenty of water there. Um, another example that, that makes the same point, two other examples that make, that make similar points. Uh, one is in Mark chapter one, this is Jesus's baptism. In Mark chapter one, when John the Baptist uh, baptized Jesus, verses nine through 11. Verse nine says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, I take delight in you. And so Mark tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, and then after he was baptized, he came up out of the water, okay? And so if, 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 we, translate, if we translate baptized and not transliterate it, it, it would say this. Uh, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was uh, immersing people in the Jordan by John. Uh, as soon as he came up, Oh, wait, sorry, I misread that. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was immersed in the Jordan River by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and it goes on, right? And, and so clearly, when John baptized Jesus, he submerged him in the Jordan River, and after he baptized him or immersed him, then he came up out of the water, and that's when the voice of God spoke, okay? And then one other example of that is in Acts chapter 8. This is uh, the the story of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. And remember the Ethiopian eunuch is, is uh, riding along in a chariot and, and Philip appears there with him and he's reading the book of Isaiah and Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, uh, how can I understand what he's reading unless somebody tells me what it means? Uh, and so, so Philip begins to explain to him what the, what the book of Isaiah that he's reading means. And then this is the, the eunuch's response, the Ethiopian's response in verse 34. 
The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And so that's the, the same response the eunuch has. There's water here. Why can I not go ahead and be baptized? Why can I not go ahead and be immersed here? Because there's plenty of water available, okay? Now, an interesting thing, I don't know if, you're, if your Bible has um, verse 37 in it, but verse 37 says this, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, right? The Ethiopian says, can I be baptized? There's water here, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Which sounds a lot like what we ask people when they're baptized here, right? What is your confession of faith? And they say, I, uh, I believe that Jesus is Lord, Okay. Now, in, in my Bible, in, in, in that passage in Acts, there's brackets around that verse, right? And so there's a footnote that says that in, in some ancient manuscripts that they've, that they've discovered, archaeologists, or ar Christian archaeologists have, have discovered, that verse is not, is not there. And there's some question of whether that verse was, was original, whether Mark really wrote that, or later if someone that was copying, uh, making copies of the Bible added that. And it sounds like something that, that might have been added, you know, to, to clarify um, why they were baptizing him. And so it probably was added. But even if it was added, and so Mark didn't write it, it's clear that, that early on in the history of the church, when they're making copies of the New Testament, right, when they're making copies of the book of Mark, whoever this copyist is, whoever this, this, uh, this scribe is that's making a copy, he understood that, that someone had to believe before they could be baptized. And that's why he added that in there, right? If Mark didn't write it, then the person who added, who added it in there uh, believed you had to be you had to believe before you could be baptized, and that's why he wrote it there. But e either way, either way, it's, uh, it, it, it looks like early on people were, were believing this and understood this, and either way, it, it looks like the eunuch is saying, can't I be baptized now because there's plenty of water here, and, and you would need water to be able to immerse someone, right? If you're going to just sprinkle, if you're going to baptize someone just by sprinkling them, then you can get some water out of, your, out of your canteen and do it, right? You wouldn't have to have a body of water nearby, and so that's, that's another example of that. So we have linguistics, the, the, the word baptism means to immerse or to submerge or to, or to dip or dunk. Um, these examples from scripture. And then there's one other thing I want to look at in Romans chapter 6. And this is the, the symbolism of baptism, okay? The symbolism of baptism. Sometimes uh, churches that, that baptize by sprinkling um, would look to the Old Testament uh, with the, the hyssop branch. They would take a, a, a branch off of a hyssop tree and they would use the leaves. And they would, when they were doing sacrifices, they would dip it in blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar and sprinkle it on, the, uh, on, on different things in the temple to purify them, right? And so, uh, and, and so people that, that use sprinkling as baptism, sometimes they would say, we do this because it, it's, uh, it's related to that. And, and baptism is a picture of God cleansing us. And so this is a symbol of how God is cleansing us, right? And so that's why they would use sprinkling. But look at, look at what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 6. He connects baptism not with purification, but with identification. So in, uh, in chapter 6, verse, verse 3, it says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be uh, joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. 
Okay? And so it looks like what Paul's saying in Romans is that, that baptism somehow connects us with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so this is another argument for, for why baptism by immersion is, is the, the best way, the most biblical way, the right way uh, to do baptism. Because when we baptize someone, they're standing in the water, and they go down under the water and then come up out of the water, right? Which is a picture of someone dying, being buried in the water, and then being resurrected out of the, the watery grave, um, just like Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected. Okay, so for the for those reasons, for the for the linguistic reason, just what the word means, uh, for those biblical examples of people uh, baptizing and being baptized, where there's where there's plenty of water present because that that would be needed for immersion, and in in Romans six for what what baptism symbolizes, um, we we think it's best, we think it's right, we think it's most biblical to baptize by immersion. Okay, and then the third question we want to want to touch on tonight is. When? When should someone be baptized? What is, the, what is the timing of baptism? And so, for example, churches of Christ would say that if someone believes, then they should be baptized immediately. Even if it's on a Tuesday night, then let's get some people, let's unlock the church, let's go up there and let's baptize this person immediately. Because if they get saved, if they repent and believe on a Tuesday night, and then they have a, have a car wreck and die or, some, or have a heart attack or something, and they die before Sunday, then they go to hell because they're not baptized. And you have to be baptized to be saved. And so they would say, let's baptize them immediately, right? Well, we don't think that is what baptism does. And so we're not that, um, we're not that pressured to do things immediately, right? But we should baptize someone, I think, as, as soon as, as practical, as soon as, as, as practically possible. Um, sometimes we, we have, to, have to schedule baptisms out a few weeks because the person being baptized wants uh, someone, to, a certain person to be present, a family member or, or a good friend, and so they, they want to wait until that person is able to come to a service, and so we would schedule, schedule a baptism out a few weeks for that reason. Um, we also would, would, you know, if someone comes up on a, on a Sunday morning and says, hey, I'm, I'm believing, I'm trusting in Jesus, I'm saved, um, we wouldn't, generally we wouldn't baptize them right away because we would want to talk to them first and just make sure, you know, what is it that you're understanding the gospel to be? What is it that you're, that you're saying you're, you're believing? Why is it that you want to be baptized? And we would want to make sure that they understand those things and, and, and are giving a credible profession of faith before we, uh, before we baptize them. Most of the time, by the way, not always, but most of the time when someone comes up on a Sunday morning, th that person's already been having conversations with, with a pastor or, or different church leaders and that's, not all, that's usually not totally unexpected. So those, those conversations have been going on for, for a while, usually. Okay? But so, so we want to baptize someone responsibly and make sure that, that they're, they're, they're believing that kind of thing. Um, and then there's also some extenuating circumstances that might make us postpone a baptism for a while. Okay? And so one example would be, and we've had this happen before, where if we have a kid that's coming to church, coming to E-Kids, uh, and, and, and involved in our children's ministry, and that kid is, is, is believing, understanding the gospel, believing turning from their sins, and, and, and we think that God's saving them. Uh, Matt or someone has, has sat down and talked with that kid, and, 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 and we think they understand rightly and, and, are, and, and really believe that, that God is working in them and has saved them. If they're, uh, if they're a, a kid whose family's not involved in the church and doesn't come to church at all, just sends the kid, um, and the family doesn't want that kid to be baptized, then we would usually not baptize them. Right? We would wait, and we would tell that kid to honor their parents and to, and to wait, um, and once they're old enough to, to make that decision on their own, we wouldn't go against what a, what a parent would want us to do in, in that situation, okay? And, and again, because of what we believe baptism is, we don't believe baptism saves you, and so we wouldn't be putting a kid at risk of, of going to hell or anything like that in that situation, and so we're able to do that, where 
um, a different tradition, Churches of Christ or something like that, would, would not, wouldn't, probably would not do that. Okay? Um, and then another extenuating circumstance is sometimes in, in a missionary context. Okay? There's, there's some things that happen in missionary context sometimes that are, that, are, that are questionable and kind of troubling, and we have to think through uh, what's best in this situation. Um, and then there's other things like, like in, in a, we had a former pastor here, Josh Powell, and he would take mission trips to India. He, his dad and he were really involved in a, in a ministry in India, and they, part of the ministry had an orphanage there, and they had these, these Indian uh, kids that would come and live at the orphanage. It was, it was more like a boarding school. Most of them had, had families, um, but many of them were, were Muslim. And so the policy was that if, some, if a child believed and, 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 and repented, became a believer, uh, then they would celebrate that but they wouldn't baptize that child until that child turned 18. Um, and, and the reason why is because in many of those contexts overseas, if you say that you believe in Jesus, that's not really a big deal. Um, in, in like a Hindu culture, if you say you believe in Jesus, well, that's fine. We have all these other guys. Just add him to the, to the list of gods that, that we believe in, right? But when you're baptized, baptism symbolizes turning your back on everything that you knew before and focusing only on Jesus, worshiping him only. And, and in many cases, that can be very dangerous. In many cases, families will disown the, the, the new believer um, because they're seen not just as changing their religion or changing what they believe, but they're seen as, as, as completely denying and, and becoming a traitor to their family and everything else. And in some cases, even um, there's honor killings where, where family members are expected to kill, um, a father's expected to kill a son or something like that if they were to convert to Christianity. And so for those reasons, in, in some of those missionary contexts, missionaries will not baptize someone until they're at least 18 and they're adults and they can make that decision um, for themselves and, and understand and know what the consequences of that is going to be. Okay? Um, the last thing we want to address is uh, rebaptisms. Okay? So what about someone who's been baptized? Is there ever a, a case where someone who has been baptized should be rebaptized? Okay? And in my notes, I put re in quotation marks, re-baptized, okay? And, 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 and we would say no, but, but, but we would also say yes, okay? We would say no one should ever be re-baptized, okay? If you've been baptized, you shouldn't be re-baptized. There's no reason to be re-baptized because of what baptism is, right? Baptism is the public profession of faith. If you've already done that, there's no reason to do that again, okay? However, if we had someone that was a member of a different church, that wanted to come and, and, and join our church, become a member here, and they were from one of these other traditions where they had been sprinkled instead of immersed, then we would say that that person needs to be immersed before they can, uh, before they can be a member here. And, and not because we th think that they should be rebaptized, but because we would say that, that we understand what that means and what that tradition says and all that kind of stuff, but when we read the Bible, we understand baptism to be by immersion. And so we would say that that's not, that's not really a baptism. And so we, so we wouldn't say that they're being rebaptized. We would say they're being baptized for the first time, right? Um, there's also uh, been a few cases where we've had people join our church from, uh, from a Church of Christ tradition or like a Christian church or something in, in, that, in that tradition. And we've handled those cases on kind of a case-by-case -case basis because they do baptize by immersion, right? They, they, everybody under the water just, just like we do. Their baptism would look just like our baptism on a Sunday morning. However, we would say if someone was baptized in one of those churches and they understood baptism to be for salvation and they believed that when they were baptized, God was saving them through baptism, then, then we would talk with them and, and counsel them to get baptized again. 
But again, we would say, you're not getting baptized again. This is the first time you're getting real, really baptized because that's not what baptism is, right? Um, yeah, okay. So, so who should be baptized? We would say only believers. How should baptism be done? We would say by immersion, only by immersion. Um, and then when should baptism be done? We would say soon. Um, but, there, but there are some insinuating circumstances sometimes. There's practical reasons sometimes, like wanting someone to be present, things like that, that, that could postpone that some, right? And so, uh, so who, only believers, how, by immersion, when, as soon as, as practically possible, right? All right, any, any questions? We've got a few seconds. <laughs> well, we have one second, because <laughs> there's the bell. Uh, we will take just a couple minutes, so if you do, and remember, next week, the whole hour, we're not doing, we won't be doing prayer, won't be doing anything else. We'll just start out on stage and have questions for the whole hour, um, so if you have those, you can save those for next week, but if anything came to mind tonight that you want to bring up before we leave tonight? <laughs> save them all for next week? All right, it's fine with me. Thank y'all for being here tonight, and uh, we look forward to having a good discussion and answering questions next week. You'll have a good night.